Hi everyone, this is Dean. Today on Weird World, the podcast, we're going to bring you something very different. It's a short story. Fiction, the first time we've done this, it is a spooky story in keeping with Halloween and in keeping with the motif of the show. It's written by someone who's anonymous, someone that we know very well here at Weird World. The name of the story is called The Baby Next Door, and I'm going to read it. Here it is. I edged a toe closer to the verge, not looking down. Felt the updraft rush up my pants, billow at the ankles, frigid and wet and inviting. It drew me an inch closer to the rim, a chunk of earth crumbling, falling soundlessly. With eyes closed, I could sense nothing but the crashing waves on the rocks 100 feet below. That and the pulling, that and the invitation, that and the infinitesimal swaying forward toward what I needed most in the world, an end to this. Then a baby cried. It came from the cabin behind me. It must have. The one next to mine. Those were the only cabins out here on the little point. They nestled, sheltered in the clutch of cypress trees bent to the wind, isolated on a part of the resort accessed only by a narrow footpath that sliced through a gap in the hills. These two were worse than the rest, almost forgotten as this place sagged under its age. The baby cried again. I winced. It was November. This decaying shithole resort must have been a third occupied. Why did they put me next to someone? Then I remembered I had asked for cabin 12. It was where we had, but that was a lifetime ago. No point, wash it away, didn't deserve it, not anymore. Another cry, like a little yap, half-hearted, but then it bled into a kind of bleating, urgent. Feed me, change me, hold me, do something. Cabin 11 was dark and silent when I'd arrived. Then I remembered it had been just past midnight. I squinted at the sinking moon as the wind rushing up the cliffside sent my tie flapping cheap and tacky like my sports coat, cheap and tacky like me. Then another unsettled yelp, and I pivoted on a heel and strode toward cabin 11. It was a twin of mine, two little Cape Cod knockoffs on the wrong coast. The front door was opposite the cliff. It stood half lit by the spray of light from the cabins behind the hills that sputtered up to die in the dark. I knocked, nothing. The baby wasn't crying anymore. I was intruding, I was rude, I was restless, I was stalling. Typical. When someone like me made a decision to do the right thing, finally you could count on him to make a mess of it. I lurched away and was to the mouth of the six-foot-wide strip of dead grass between the twin cabins when the baby howled. More urgent this time, more insistent. I stopped mid-stride, shoulders hunched. Wah! Do you need some help in there? I said that at the same time I rapped the door. Stupidly, the knocking must have garbled the words. Can I help you with anything? Jesus, listen to me, as if I could help anyone with anything, as if I ever had. I can never know why I tried the doorknob then, just like I can never know why the door was open and why I pushed it three inches from the frame and leaned in. The bathroom door on the right was closed. It was a straight shot little hall like mine, so there'd be a closet behind the door on the left. The hall would open to a kitchenette on the right in the bedroom beyond, but it was black back there. Pushed the door, swung easily, opened wide. Hello? A step, ear near the shut bathroom door, but nothing. Is anyone here? But I knew someone was. I knew there was a baby crying for help, as if I could help it, but I've said that already. Then came a plaint, less than a cry, a little gurgling, needful noise of the defeated as if giving up, as if realizing the man it cried for was worthless, was a mistake, might do more harm than good. Like a last rattle, like a sad, understanding moan, like a surrender. I stepped into the dark and saw a shape in the center of the bed. 
Though I knew where the light switches must be, my hand wouldn't do that. Instead, I swept open the vertical blinds across the sliding glass door that looked onto a tiny patio and then the edge of the cliff 50 feet beyond. The half-moon shine was all I could bear. What if... Wah! Louder now, hopeful now, I pressed my knees to the foot of the bed and bent down. The baby took shape. White little chubby face with sprigs of blonde hair, a blue onesie snapped up to the throat. It fussed on a puke green bedspread that opened its little mouth in a big black hole and hollered a demand. This time a screech, this time a shout. Then, just as I began to reach down, the water in the bathroom spurted into the basin. I jumped, turned, froze. No idea how long I stood there looking at the closed bathroom doors. The water crashed into the sink. The baby seemed to be listening too, looking toward the sound, as confused as I was, but not as scared, never as scared. Hello, what else do you say? Why has she not answered earlier? You let some stranger walk into your room where your baby lies helpless? And yet I was the one who crept to the bathroom on my toes. I reached for the doorknob, stopped myself, knocked stupidly in more of a slide of my knuckles down the hollow wooden door painted in a drip-dried pale cream. As I pushed the door open, the water stopped. She stood looking down. Her hands clutched the sink with fingers around the counter edge. White knuckle gripped so tight it stopped her hands shaking, but her elbows quivered as if she was straining to keep the sink from shooting up through the ceiling. And I saw it right away. I saw it in her face because I had seen it in mine. She was at the end. She was hanging on. She was slipping. I knew the feeling. You try to concentrate, but you lose it. You lose sight of the things that had anchored you. Faces, mannerism, ticks of those you knew. And then the names dissolve. Can't squeeze them out, can't force them up. It's as if everyone you knew changed their names and faces while you slept but didn't tell you. They're still there, asleep in your head, but only when you dream and when you awake, you can never rouse them. It scared me when it happened because I felt like if I didn't regain my world soon, I would lose it for good. Then this morning, I realized I was not losing these things, but had lost them and I could never force them out because they had nothing to fear from me. No one does. That was when I drove out to a place that held memories and it had a hundred foot cliff to a rocky end I knew I would never reach. So I also knew that when you finally give up, it is a relief. It is like the fugitive who sees he is surrounded and succumbs. The tension drains off with the blood in your face, leaving pale relief behind, an end to suffering that outweighs the consequences. Those come later. This is now. My relief was near a few minutes ago as I pushed my toe to the edge, but then the baby cried and that changed everything. I held up a hand to the woman as if quieting a frightened deer. It's okay, I half whispered. I won't hurt you. More inane gibberish. The woman went on weeping, her face red, eyes swollen. Blonde hair clung to her scalp and fell in thick, damp streaks down the sides of her face. She was tall and trim in a yellow sundress, unfit for the time and place. She spoke then in less than a whisper. Did you hear him crying? I didn't say, no shit, he could wake the dead. Instead I said, is he hungry? She looked almost stricken, not as if in shock, but in shame. Finally, she nodded. I took a step away, looked back, and caught her leaning after me. I shot an easy smile and went into the bedroom. When I picked up the baby, he gave a little cooing sound like a contented cat. He grunted and cried a little, but he looked me in the eyes and knew that even I could save him. The woman stood above a padded bench between the closet and the dresser, mouth ajar, looking from me to the baby, me to the baby, but she didn't come any closer. I can feed him if you want quick nod as if she were as hungry as her baby. Then she gestured toward the chair in the corner beneath the floor lamp that leaned into the wall. It was a big blue plastic bag on the fuzzy brown chair's sagging middle. 
You'll have to warm the formula on the stove first, but not too hot. Her voice was scratchy, slow, puffy, like someone who had just woken from a deep, unrestful sleep. She told me how much formula to scoop into a glass bottle I filled from the sink in the kitchenette, how long to leave it in the saucepan of water on the electric burner to test it by squeezing some on the inside of my wrist. Then I was feeding a baby for the first time in my life, sucking furiously at the nipple a little life in my arms of all places in my care of all things. His eyes drooped, pink lips, a perfect oval. I looked at her and she held a little blue blanket to her cheek, eyes lost and wistful, just rubbing its downy softness on her flesh. A fussy little burble brought her back to me. She looked at the baby nestled in my arms. Have you ever changed a baby? I had not. That was one more first for me that night after midnight in the twin cabin 50 feet from the place this was supposed to stop. But I did, under her softly spoken guidance, her voice a bit clearer. But even so, I sometimes had to strain to hear as if she was always at a risk of losing focus before she could finish a sentence. And he was a boy after all. I guess I just figured that because of the blue onesie and the blue blanket she touched at the corner of her mouth even as she spoke. When I was done, she had gone. The door was open. I guess she just needed air. I don't remember leaving the baby on the bed and going to my own cabin, but I must have. I have gaps. I have blank spots. But I must have because my next memory was waking from unsettled sleep sometimes short of dusk to the sound of crying. I knocked, no answer, and walked in. The baby was in the middle of the bed where I must have left it. I saw her standing in the corner by the sliding glass door where it opened into oblivion. She held a shivering hand over her mouth, blue veins bulging like living things creeping beneath the skin. Her index finger beneath one eye and thumb beneath the other pulled her flesh down, making her eyes bug out as she stared at the baby. The room was still lit only by the fading moon, but I saw the blue bag with bottles and formula and diapers and the shadows on the ratty chair. I nodded at her as if that said everything. When I drew near at the corner of the bed, she squirmed against the corner as if she might ooze into the wall. It's okay. I eased by her sideways, hands up to say she could trust me. God, if she only knew me. No, better still, if she'd only known the woman I had spent those happy days all those years ago, had asked her if I was trustworthy, that woman would have loosed a jagged little laugh and a warning gaze. But this woman let me pass by and seemed tamed by my dumb half-smile as I moved by. I'm sorry. This was after I had the bottle in the baby's mouth and he had slowed from ravenous slurping to an easy suckling. She had the little blue blanket and slid it across her cheek now and again with vacant eyes as if she didn't even know she was doing it. You have nothing to be sorry about. Was that me? You didn't sound like me. I've heard of postpartum. You don't have to. Yes, yes, she said in a quick clip voice the first time her tone was anything other than far away. But that doesn't make it feel right. It's nothing to be ashamed of. When she looked in my eyes then, I realized it was the first time she really had, directly, as if seeing me for the first time. You're very kind. No, I'm not. You are to me. To him. I couldn't speak, so the baby spoke for me with a little coo as he slid his lips from the nipple and looked up at me. Behind my stupid grin was one thought. What the hell am I doing? But I didn't want him to feel that, and if I'd known then what a difference that was, hiding the truth from the innocent, if I had known then what a sea change that was for me, I might have plopped him back on the bed and walked out toward the cliff. I thought we'd be safe here, she said, looking out the sliding glass door toward the cliff, then back to me, far away again. Her blonde hair still hung damp and dark as if she hadn't showered in days. I thought here these feelings would go away. They'll pass, I said, and then she gaped at me like I had just told a filthy joke. So I scrambled, I avoided, because that is the one thing I've always been good at. 
I thought I'd be safe here too, for as long as it took anyway. As long as what took? But the instinct to evade escaped me then, and I said, as long as it took to clear out a wasted life. Why? Because I've lost everything. Not everything, she said. Everything. My knees bent of their own accord, and I slumped to the foot of the bed. A stray ray from a dying moon caught the woman's face as she tilted her head. Why did you come here? she asked. I smiled. It was meant to be one of those sardonic smiles, I think they call them, or maybe a wry smile. It was meant to convey hard-earned wisdom, but I could feel it on my face, and it must have looked only sad and ragged and fake. A hoax smile, a kind of lie. When you have no future, you look to the past. I looked beyond her toward the cliff, but then the baby reached his tiny hand toward my face, and I looked down. My smile then was the truth. We used to vacation here in better days, my wife and I. You never had kids? She seemed to study me. Thirty-something, but aging years for months lately. Sucking eyes, a grisly shadow over the bottom of my face. I was pissed a little then because I thought she must have known the answer to that. That I would never count my legacy in trillions the way she would. And that she let it go without so much as a head shake proved me right. So you're what, hiding out here? I guess so. This time the baby's hand came up higher and graced my chin. I made a little kissing sound like he would be to a puppy. No one could connect this place with me. It was too long ago. No one will find me here. I found you here, she said. I thought I found you. She moved a step closer, then another, as close as she had ever been. I grew up here. My parents used to... Anyway, now I guess we can't ever leave. At least not until... Then the baby gave a kind of groan and made a pained face. I shook my head, looked up, and she was gazing at him longingly, needfully, but she had not taken another step closer. He needs to, but I knew, and I was already putting the baby on the shoulder and tapping his tiny little back. My fingertips rattled his spine beneath the cotton, then he let out a monumental belch and gurgled softly, lying his head on my shoulder and nestling in close to my stubble cheek. When I awoke, I couldn't tell the time, and even when I figured out where I was, I wasn't sure how long I'd been there. I wasn't even sure I had ever been there. How could that be? How can you ever be lost if you were never found? But I was found, wasn't I? Then I lost that thought and stepped outside. It was still not fully light, and I stood at the sliding glass door alone in my own cabin, face flush, teeth gritted, eyes wide, staring out toward the cliff in the twilight. Somewhere waves broke, but I couldn't see it, and if I kept my eyes closed as I ran, I would never see it, and that would make it so much easier. Psych yourself up, like standing at the water's edge before you rush into the cold ocean. You count first upward, but that might never end, so you restart at five and count down. Two, one. I closed my eyes and raced toward the cliff. My foot hit a rock 20 feet out, and my ankle almost gave, but it held, lucky me, and I ran on. Then something hit me, almost a physical force. Something between me and the cliff pushed and pulled, and my feet skidded to a stop. I threw my arms back to balance and banged open my eyes. Looked down, see my toes at the edge of the crumbling soil and stone, hear the waves crash, the rocks, those unfathomable 100 feet below. The next time the baby next door cried to wake me, it was fully light. Little red digits on the cheap clock blinked 113. That didn't seem right. Had the power gone out and come back on? I went over and fed and changed him as she watched, almost impassive now, almost expectant. We smiled and chatted and parted. Then again, a couple hours later. Later still, I went over and lightly tapped on the door to see if she wanted to get something to eat. She must be starving. I was. I whispered where the door met the frame. But she didn't answer, and I didn't press because she probably wanted the baby to sleep. 
I drove into town intending to get lunch at a seaside seafood place my wife and I had discovered all those years ago. We shared oysters and realized we both hated oysters no matter how much butter you smothered them in. But I knew my card would be declined, so I bought a fast food burger with spare change, fish from the bottom of the center console, and ate in my car. I was still in my car when the yellow streetlights began to buzz and warm. Looked around and saw I was in a little parking lot beneath a row of Monterey Cypress that lined a little park I didn't remember. It must have been hours, but we've been through that. I have gaps, I have holes, and things get lost in my head. I was back in my cabin. It was dusk. I found myself staring through the window toward cabin 11. Dark and silent, curtains drawn. It was a moment before I realized I was waiting for the baby to cry. It was a moment more before I realized I was hoping for the baby to cry. I went to the sliding glass door and I looked out, squinted. Was that? There was a shape out by the big cypress whose roots clutched the edge and shot through gaps in the stone to dangle over space. Something that blurred into the darkening background, the black ocean beyond, something that subsided with the setting sun. Was it her? What else could it be? Well, it could be nothing at all because remember who was telling you this. It could be a delusion fashioned to fill the gaps that plagued me. Because when I rushed out the front door and circled around my cabin, there was nothing beneath the big cypress. Still, I closed my eyes and pushed my toe toward the fall, though this time I held my hand against the cypress tree. Then a bit further, then just my fingers touching bark, then I felt nothing beneath the front of my foot. I opened my eyes and looked down. And again, there was a shape. Or there seemed to be, but you just don't know. Something sprawled at the bottom of the rocks as the night took over and darkness washed in with the waves. Don't you even think it. I whirled and she was there, feet away, eyes red, mouth in a kind of snarl. Don't you ever do that. The voice was cold and intense. There are people who rely on you. I shook my head and held out my hands. Please don't. No one who ever relied on me came out unharmed. Well, too bad. Spittle bubbled on her lip as she swiped it away with a narrow wrist. Too late. You don't understand. There are people who want to talk to me. Bad people. You're better off without me. Promise me. I hesitated. Promise you what? Promise you'll never do what you keep coming out here trying to do. Stop it. Like I said, your promise. It must have been the muddle in my head, but it sounded like a particularly massive wave smashed against the cliff face below just then. I shrugged, nodded, said, I promise, in a choked voice that had to betray I had never kept a promise in my life. Then it was time to evade and avoid again, so I asked, Does the baby need anything? She didn't answer. She looked down. He must be hungry now. She looked back toward cabin 11, but still was silent. Where's the baby? Sleeping, but she looked down again. I said, let's go see if he needs anything, and I hurried toward cabin 11. I went in first, and when I saw the baby lying on the bed, my heart stopped. But then I scooped him up, and he was warm. Then he jostled in my arms, and his eyes opened, then he smiled. It was when I sat on the bed feeding the baby that I asked what his name was. Finally, I, uh, well, I haven't named him, not yet. I must have looked shocked because she looked out the sliding glass door from her spot in the corner of the room. Really? He must be, I had no idea, like three months old? Six, she turned back to me and shrugged. I was alone when he came. When the hospital people asked me, I just blanked. I hadn't thought about it. No worries, I tried to get the judgment out of my voice. There's plenty of time. She looked away wistfully. And the same goes for you. You have plenty of time to figure this out. You'll feel better soon, I know it. You don't know shit. You're not wrong, but this I do. You're attached to a living thing now. That's a game changer. You won't let him down. 
She whipped her head around and glared at me. What, do you think I would just leave? No, I, because that would be monstrous. He's all I have in the world and I am all he has. Leaving him alone would be monstrous. I never thought anything like that. I wanted so bad to stand up and go to her, pat her shoulder, even hug her, something, but I couldn't. From my own cowardice, sure, but also from the certainty that it would send her running. Like I said, we'll get through this, but I hadn't said that. I had never said we, you and me, a single mom with an unnamed baby and a broke-ass loser with a target on his back. Can't lose. I smiled long enough for her to turn and see it and feel emboldened, but she didn't. She just stared out the window toward the ocean beyond the cliffs, the moon rising, the jut of land shrouded now entirely in dark. I awoke again to crying. Now late, very late, still dark, but too dark, black dark. I was outside, but I couldn't find cabin 11, and I could not find the baby even as his wail swarmed my head like a hive. I felt like I was losing my place, becoming untethered, but finally the crying brought me back and I saw I was walking toward the cliff again. My breath froze before me, but when I turned toward the crying, the cabin was there and I felt warmer. I walked between the twin cabins. Turning to the right, she was there, standing in front of the, her door. I stopped just short of her, so close, never closer. Her look was almost reproachful, so I took a step back. I thought you weren't coming. I thought you were... She clutched the little blue baby blanket like a weapon and whirled around and went inside the cabin. I hesitated with an overwhelming sense that I had disappointed her and it crushed me. But the baby let out a rattling cooing sound and I rushed in. She wasn't in the room. It was dark, so I flipped on the hall light. A sound came from the bed and he was there, wiggling and kneading. I fed him, I burped him, I changed him, I held him with his face on my shoulder until he quieted. I eased back on the bed and sat up against the wall. One arm drooped down my chest while the other slung over my shoulder with tiny fingers clutching the back of my collar. His breath warmed the side of my neck in a gentle pant. When I awoke, he was laying at my side. I was still half sitting, pillows at my back, head against the peeling wallpaper. She was still gone. Yawned quietly and stretched carefully, then eased off the bed. Sliding door blinds were still drawn. The draped window at the side of the cabin that looked onto mine allowed a shadowed flare of light. It must have been dawn. That meant it had been, what, almost two days since I had first heard the baby cry? I lose track of time, you know that, so I w couldn't be sure. And time moved oddly here, like a co-conspirator, like an intentional muddle. Stepping lightly, I whisked open the sliding glass door blinds, and there she was. Close again, inches away, nose almost pressed to the glass. That damp blonde hair framing her pale face, her pained face, her desperate face. Anguish and anger, that was all I had seen from that face in these two days, yet I couldn't bring myself to look away. Where did you go? I asked. She just shook her head and shrugged as if she could not even fathom the question. Both fists were clenched at her sides, one with a blue baby blanket crumpled in it. We're both alone. We might as well be alone together. I wanted to put my hand to the glass and see if she did the same, but didn't dare for the fear she would not. At least until they kick us out. I tried to smile. Maybe I did. Let it go when her face changed not at all. A soft moan from the baby, still asleep. I rummaged through the blue bag. Maybe a quarter of the canister of formula remained, but there was only one diaper left. Without looking back, I said, we're almost out of formula and diapers, like we were some loving new parents on a stolen getaway, our first since the baby was born, like a lie. I can go to town and get some diapers, but you'll have to tell me what kind of formula to buy. Buy, as if there was any more change to scrounge from the cushions of my car. I didn't say it to her, but I knew I would steal what we needed. I would do that for her. I would do that for him. 
Maybe you'll want to come with, I said, turning back to the sliding glass door and stopping when I saw she was gone. I rushed to the door and looked out, teeth clenched, lips tight. She wasn't there. The fog had rolled in, thick and grasping. I moved through the mist toward the cliff with still no sign of her, and at the big cypress I stopped. I looked down, this time careful to not let my toes go too far out, one hand holding the bark. But the fog hung like a carpet over the rocks below. I turned and started to put my hands to my mouth to amplify the shout of her name, but I realized I did not know her name. Unlike her baby, she must have a name. How has she never told me? A memory came back then as if with purpose. I knew a way down. My wife and I had explored this place those years ago. There was a little trailhead not far off where the cliffs dipped low toward the sea. You could take it all the way around the spit of land if it wasn't high tide. The pathway was rocky and wet with little patches of damp sand along the way. The cliff rose rapidly from the trailhead, looming. The sea washed in on the other side. Some stretches of the trail were no more than a few wet rocks until the next patch of sand. At the turn, there was a rise in the rocks that had hid everything behind it. This must have been right below the big cypress at the point of the cape. I went on. Because of that rocky rise, I didn't see it until I was right over it. I first spotted something blue, fabric, moving in little undulations as it was washed by sea that snuck into the little crag. It was the little blue baby blanket, still clutched in her hand and where I hoped it would always be. It was her. Her blonde hair fell in thick, damp streaks down the sides of her face, as it always had since the first instant I saw her when she was not there. I knew that then, because the crabs had done their worst and the sea had bloated that pale face into oblivion. I don't remember the mad rush back up the trail. More gaps, I guess. More holes in my rattled mind. I ran across the grass and skidded to a stop on the little brick patio outside the open sliding glass door. I held, listening. Was that those gentle pants that had just warmed my neck? Was that my imagination? Was that just more delusion? I went in. I looked down to the end of the bed. Let go then of air, of thoughts, of fear. I picked him up and sat at the side of the bed as he let out a little cry wiggled and writhed, blinked and left his eyelids half-opened. He moved, he was warm, he was real, he was mine. I just stared down at him for the longest time, but I remembered every instant of this time, and I still do. This was clarity. I shushed him, pressed him close until he stopped wiggling. His lips made a little O as his eyes came opened, soft and focused, gazing at my face. He smiled. I was all he had in the world. He was all I had. I cooed him, and he cooed back. Then I closed my eyes and hoped to hell he would still be there when I opened them. The end. Okay, that was The Baby Next Door, a short story. Again, a little different for what we do here. We hope you enjoyed it. Tell us if you did or not. Tell us if you ever want us to do that again. If you don't, we won't. Just thought we'd experiment a little here. Carrie, tell them where they can find... Oh, wait. Carrie's not here. I'm here by myself. Why am I doing that? Anyway, that was Weird World. I could tell you where to find us, but I don't know because that's what Carrie does. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>